In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This is from Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 10, Canticles. Praised be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has bestowed on us in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavens. God chose us in him before the world began to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us to be his adopted sons through Jesus Christ. Such was his will and pleasure that all might praise the glorious favor he has bestowed on us in his beloved. In him and through his blood we have been redeemed and our sins forgiven. So immeasurably generous is God's favor to us. God has given us the wisdom to understand fully the mystery, the plan he was pleased to decree in Christ, a plan to be carried out in Christ in the fullness of time to bring all things into one in him, in the heavens and on earth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, another little recap before we go into this conference. Yesterday evening I spoke about the call to holiness and the focus or the exhortation to focus on your relationship with God, being faithful to that relationship, whatever else is happening in your life, and that the call to be perfect, to be holy in this relationship with God is what we pray will produce a yearning for God in the lives of others, not simply admiration for yourself. And then we spoke about, I spoke about courage this morning, exhorting each of us to develop habits that will prepare us to be courageous, to do what is difficult, whatever we fear, or whatever we just don't want to do. To have the courage, the strength of character to do what must be done. And then hope. I spoke about hope this afternoon. Pray to receive the virtue of hope. Pray to have certainty of God's presence in every moment and in every place. To be certain of his infinite love for you and of his offering to you all you need in order to live the life which with which he has gifted you. May that hope be the foundation of your life. This book also of the, the Marxist errors, the, the challenge, not just in Marxism, but in any political system that tries to make heaven on earth, tries to make a perfect economic system, a perfect political system, and I think that each of us can get, can get caught 
in ways of making things making things better and forgetting the people. So my brother, I've mentioned him before, one of my brothers, uh, a couple of them have five children. This is my younger brother with five children. And he was talking about raising them, and he had a conversation with someone who, who told a story about a farmer whose neighbor was complaining because the corn rows weren't perfectly straight or something like this, right? And he said to the neighbor, look, I'm raising sons more than I'm raising corn. Right? So I don't want to have straight corn rows and crushed sons. We can, we can focus on getting everything right, the, the workshop that doesn't have a speck of dust on it, but the children who want nothing to do with you anymore. Right? They, they don't want that. Right? And so we, we can get we can miss the, the very heart of what we're, we're, we ought to be doing for those around us because we're getting our little kingdom in order, you know, according to our criteria, not according to what they need or according to what God would have us, would have us do. I spoke the first night about <clears throat> you know, what, what is the outcome that I would pray would come about for us, for each of us, uh, by the end of this retreat. And I suggested that I hope we will be returning in one sense to the same life we were living, but with a different horizon, a different context. Each of us more firmly aware that we are placed within eternity at this time and placed here, being more attentive to God's prompting and ways to live life to the full, actually. We know that, that Christ is trying to bring us life, life to the full. So it's my prayer that in little and maybe big ways, we will be more prepared to receive what Christ is trying to give us in that, in that fullness of life. So this conference, the title I've, I've uh, offering for this conference is Preparing to Evangelize to Bring Forward the Joy of Being Catholic. Now it really is coincidental, perhaps providential, that tomorrow is World Mission Sunday. Right? So indeed, we, we do need to prepare to evangelize and, and what does it mean to to evangelize the world to evangelize our children to evangelize our neighbor to bring the joy of being a Catholic being a follower of Christ to the world I'm going to use Pope Benedict again and some of, of Pope Francis to to look at the situation of the world and what missionary work, what evangelizing looks like today, and how it's different from the past, and, and so what are the challenges as we prepare to evangelize both uh, our most immediate contacts, our family even, uh, but also, quote, the world, our society. And I'd like to keep in mind the, the 
that passage. God so loved the world. Right? There, there can be a temptation, and I have it too, to, to say, um, he should do that differently, but I don't remotely love him or her. You know, there's a way of uh, wanting people to live correctly, right, which is different from loving them. It may involve correction. You may, it may be your place to correct people, to, to really be firm with them, to clear the temple when it's time to clear the temple. But um, what drives it is God so loved the world and sent his only son. Also Christ on the cross, they know not what they do. They know not what they do. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Again, does, this kind of love does not mean you don't call people to task. You don't call them to justice. So part of the context that we have in our society that uh, Pope Benedict um, spoke about in an interview a few years ago, I guess Pope Emeritus at the time, Pope Emeritus Benedict, um, modern man tends to ignore any personal sin and need for justification and to focus instead on the suffering in the world, believing that God has to justify himself for this suffering. Why would he create a world where there's such suffering? Where was God during the Holocaust? Um, God has to justify himself. So focus on God being the cause of all these problems and not, not human beings, not me. Now Pope Benedict says, he has a, a longer section of the interview where, where he, he says, but I think despite that, that sense of other people needing to be better or God needing to justify himself, he says, under a veneer of self-assuredness and self-righteousness, the man of today hides a deep knowledge of his wounds and his unworthiness before God. He is waiting for mercy. The man of today is waiting for mercy. Now, I always get nervous when some people start talking about mercy because I want to be sure they know that justice must be served, you know, or, or that, no, this is wrong what you're doing. It's unfair. It's sort of like the, the person first at work, you know, the... The, the laborer called first in, in, in the morning and gets paid the same as the one that were, ones that were called last. And so there's a little bit of, so, so what, what is this about mercy? What is going on with the mercy? And why, why do we need to think about mercy? How, how to think about mercy here? And I thought about uh, times when, when I was teaching uh, ethics and to, to undergraduates of today or that of 10 or 15 years ago, uh, and had to cover the topic of abortion. So I'm a priest teaching a class in philosophy. It's not theology. I'm not 
teaching about the mercy of God. Uh, I am in a collar, uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I wanted to be very careful how I taught, how I conveyed what we know about human life and life in the womb um, without crushing those women in the classroom who had abortions because they're there. And, and, and some of them came to speak to me afterward in some of the classes. And, and so what I would do is I would, I would, at the beginning of class or, or at the beginning of that section, I would say, now at this moment, I'm going to, I'm going to speak as a priest. And, and so then I, I spoke about the great challenge of coming to the conclusion that you have done something awful, truly terrible, and you have no conviction that you could ever be forgiven. I think of how awful that, that is, right? And that the only way that, that I could talk about or felt that, that I worked for me, so to speak, was to say, we hold out hope that there is the possibility of forgiveness. You can ask for forgiveness. So what I'm getting at here is, I think this is part of why the abortion arguments in public are so painful and sometimes so vicious. How could I accept what I have done? How could you tell me I've murdered? I, who care so much for the poor and the weak, I couldn't bear it to be convinced that, that, that I murdered or that I was part of killing of human being. Unless I were to believe in God and in his forgiveness, which I don't. <laughs> I don't. And so I just can't go there. In fact, what I really need is for you to pay for it. Right? I think that's also part of why some people want um, pro-lifers and all Americans to pay for abortions, to somehow get everybody implicated in this. Which I think is a twisted kind of logic. So I'm, what I'm suggesting here is that I think that there, there are deep awarenesses. The natural law remains strong, that, that human beings recognize the natural law. I mean, people are able to see ultrasounds today. They, they can tell themselves or tell you it's a glob of cells. They know it's not. They know it's not, right? So, so they know something's wrong, but they have nowhere to go, right? So, so my, part of my question for all of us is, are, are we in some way a path for them out? Right? One of the things that, that's come up in the last few years through that, the woman who left, Remember, she was running abortion clinics, and now she's, she, she has that um, group. And what's the name of the group? And then there were none, right? So she's providing a path for, for people working in abortion clinics to get out, right, to get out. And many of them, of course, they know they're involved in something terrible. You don't have to, you don't have to beat them over the head with that. I remember talking to a, a woman who identifies as a queer Catholic in San Francisco. And she, her, her first concern was, look, Father, 
I know homosexual relations are wrong. I, I know that. Don't, you people, don't keep repeating that to me. And I wasn't going to repeat it to her. She said, I know. I know. So, so in a way, give me a path out of even, I hope she doesn't call herself that anymore. I don't think she needs to, you know. But are we prepared to be a path out of, of the, the condition that people are in? Weak as we may be, sinners as we are, right? I don't mean that we are comfortable sinning, but we are sinners, right? We are sinners. So when we speak about missionary, missionary work, an old understanding of the cross is difficult for modern man. This is Pope Benedict. It's difficult for modern man to relate to because of its focus on justice. Right? People don't, they don't respond easily right now to justice. Make it right. Because I think, again, they don't know how they possibly could make it right. They've done something awful. Nevertheless, God can't simply leave as is the mass of evil that comes from the freedom that he has granted to human beings. Only he coming to share in the world's suffering can redeem the world. And so our evangelization, our bringing the joy of the gospel, involves joining in Christ's work, laying down our lives to redeem the world. So another a related challenge is, as, as Pope Benedict puts it, he says, we're faced now with a profound evolution of dogma. Since the 1950s, the understanding that God cannot let go to perdition all the unbaptized has been fully affirmed. What's he saying there? We no longer... Uh, are prepared to say all of those unbaptized infidels are going to hell because God may save them in some other way that we don't know about. And that's sort of taken hold in a, in a major way and has made evangelizing missionary work, um, it's sort of, it's, 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 it's caused it to lose some of its steam, right? Lose some of its steam. And Pope Benedict says, there's a double crisis, too. He says, if that's true of the infidels or the unbaptized throughout the world, what about me? It's a loss of a motivation for the faith itself. Hey, whatever I do, God could save me. God could bring it about. You know, I, the thief on the cross next to Christ, today you'll be with me in paradise. Maybe that'll be me. Right, so we've lost, in some areas, there's been a loss of motivation for the faith itself. Now, I'm, I, I'm talking to men who just took a weekend off to go on a Catholic retreat, so it's probably not, not you. But the question is how to do this, given this cultural situation where there has been a loss of, of the drive, of the, the sort of uh, urgency, urgency of letting people know about Christ. Urgency. 
So he says, he, he still says, the man of today still has a sense that God cannot let most of humanity be damned. So, so if you, you hear this when people say, um, don't worry about, you know, God, will, it'll all be okay in the end. You know, God forgives everybody. It'll all be okay in the end when you die. And people say that. And a lot of people really feel that way. And there's, there are disagreements among theologians about whether we should, should think that no one's in hell. You know, is it possible that even Hitler is not in hell? And there are, you know, good theological arguments. Um, very smart people arguing back and forth about that. But it's out there. You know, God, God couldn't possibly condemn us. We, we poor, poor, weak human beings. Is he even really going to condemn us to eternal damnation? There's, there's that sense out there, right? And I suppose, the, 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 at least for me, one of the, the strongest answers to that is, well, he really does take your choices seriously. <laughs> so, I mean, either, either you're going to take your life seriously or not. And he takes your choices seriously. So there is, you do sit with that possibility. More importantly, I would say, and this, thing, this is the focus that I would hope is on for your evangelization, your living the joy of the gospel. More importantly, as I've suggested earlier in the weekend, it's not simply about the next life. It's living this life. And it's not the case that we should sit here and be jealous of those people that are out being promiscuous tonight. Aren't they having more fun than we? you know, or drinking, or on drugs, or whatever they are. We'd be, we'd mista be mistaken about that. It's about this life. So he, um, Pope Benedict, in this interview, talk, talks about John Paul and, and Pope Francis, affirming that mercy is the only true and ultimate effective reaction against the power of evil. So mercy, and we, we, we see the drive, we saw it certainly in uh, John Paul's uh, love for uh, divine mercy and, and St. Faustina, and we see it almost every day in the messages of Pope Francis, mercy. Only where there is mercy does cruelty end. Only with mercy do evil and violence end. It is mercy that moves us toward God while justice frightens us before him. <clears throat> under a veneer, I think I said this before, under a veneer of self-assuredness and self-righteousness, the man of today hides a deep knowledge of his wounds and his unworthiness before God. He is waiting for mercy. And I, I know a lot of people who, who quote, liberal Catholics and, and non-Catholics who really respond to what they perceive to be the non-judgmental Pope Francis. Offering mercy, offering mercy, offering mercy. Now, why is Pope Francis criticized? <clears throat> I've alluded to this earlier. I think, and I'm, I'm sensitive to this concern. We don't want him to give people the impression that mercy, uh, that, that they can expect cheap mercy. <laughs> right? Mercy, God's mercy and his justice are not opposed to one another. God's mercy and God's justice are not opposed to one another. We want, 
We want him to make sure people know abortion is wrong. You know, that's where my friends will say, we know it's wrong. <laughs> Who are you kidding? We know it's wrong. And, and we know we can't get out of it unless there's something bigger, some, some way of redemption. But we won't focus on, on that so much as this concern that this, or I shouldn't say this concern, this possible path away for people to move out of their slavery to ways of thinking and ways of acting. There will be time, this is where your, your prudence and your courage comes in, there will be time as people are following you and noticing your attractive Catholic faith in you, There'll be time for you to correct them, to mentor them, to give them advice. And you pray for the, the right time and the right words to say. Right? We don't, and, and so I think here, and there may be times when you lead with the, you lead with the teaching, and that's actually why, why teaching ethics is so important. That's a place where it gets taught, right? Gets, gets heard. But Pope Benedict is suggesting that that's not working so much in the evangelization of our cultures today, or it's not going to work so much, which is not a denial of the truths of, uh, that we hold. And this is where he also speaks about the, the Good Samaritan and the dimensions of, of uh, the, if you think about our, our secular society, those in secular society, concern for the homeless, concern for the poor, concern for the unemployed. Why is that? Why do they have a strong sense that those on the margins should be taken care of? Why do they have that? Pope Francis suggests that, in a sense, they, they kind of know. That's, that's not in an explicit way, but that's in some, way, some sense not so much owed to them, but something God would do. God would go out to them. So he's suggesting that there are ways to see an aspect of the faith alive even in those who completely reject the faith. And so we need to look for those, those places of convergence. Places of convergence. For some, maybe it's just a veneer, right? They don't, they don't really care for the homeless. They don't really care for the poor. They don't really care for the elderly. Uh, but for others, it's real. They really do. They really do. So he, he's, um, in the interview, he was asked about the, uh, the challenge of things like the anonymous Christian. The anonymous Christian is um, 
I think the original source is the theologian Karl Rahner, who, who spoke about the, the persons who fulfill the essence of being a Christian without knowing what it is in a conceptual way. So they're kind of living a Christian life. Um, and so they're anonymous Christians, right? Uh, they... The, the claim is that every man who accepts himself is a Christian even if he does not know it. Right, so there too, there's a great challenge. So maybe all of these unbaptized people out there, these non-Christians, are actually Christians, but we just don't, we just don't, they just don't know it, hasn't been named yet. And again, it, it creates a problem for evangelization. Pope uh, Benedict says, it's true that this theory is fascinating, but it reduces Christianity itself to a pure conscious presentation of what a human being is in himself and overlooks the drama of change and renewal that is central to Christianity. So change and renewal. One of the great gifts of our faith is confession. Right, the drive to, to change, to be converted, to be renewed, to leave those sins behind. Actually be converted, metanoia, to change. And Pope Benedict, and this is a great challenge as well, he says, even less acceptable is the solution proposed by the pluralistic theories of religion for which all religions, each in, in their own way, would be ways of salvation and in this sense, in their, in their effects, must be considered equivalent. And you hear this. Uh, all faiths are equal, or, you know, it's, it's, it's all, um, they're all the same, or they all have the same, which, of course, is not true at all, but, but people who don't know much about religion think it's all the same. The critique of religion of the kind exercised in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and in the early church is essentially more realistic, more concrete, and true in its examination of the various religions. Such a simplistic reception is not proportional to the magnitude of the issue. So if you read the Gospels, you know that following Christ is not some general pluralistic set of 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 feelings or beliefs, and it's certainly not anonymous. The martyrs that we celebrate, St. Ignatius was not anonymous. He didn't die for faiths in general. He died for the truth. He died for Christ. He died for something concrete and real. And so the challenge for us is to change from uh, in some cases, to change from preaching a fear of hell to shining forth, being willing to die, being willing to lay down our lives, but shining forth a living of this life, even in the world, especially in the world, in the concrete dealings with our co-workers, in the concrete dealings with people at school, in such a way People notice. And they notice also that he doesn't really like me, but he would do anything for me. He would lay down his life for me. 
And that may not happen all at once. I, I think of a, a woman who, uh, she, she was actually a religious sister who worked in uh, a hospital setting. And there, for several years, there was a, a man there who absolutely hated her. And she was the most lovely religious sister. Formerly Catholic, gay, living with his lover. She never talked to him about any of that, but he hated her. For five years, she was loving and pleasant to him. At some point, something changed. To this day, he loves her. I don't know what he's changed of his own life, I hope. But things don't necessarily happen overnight. But somehow he knew that whatever are the positions of her church, which she never denied, <laughs> did not mean she had to hate him. So she never wavered. She never said, don't worry, I don't care about what the church teaches. None of that ever had to happen. She was thoroughly who she is, and yet was able to at least begin to bring this man into a relationship. So it's important as we think about how we will, will evangelize or be the joyful Catholic that we want to be, that we, by what we read, by how we pray, that we are formed and strengthened in our understanding of the truth of the faith and in our genuine practice of it. Be prepared to suffer for it. Be prepared to love no matter what comes our way. So this, I think that this way of evangelizing or this, the, the situation we have today, much more uh, in a much more challenging way, forces us to deepen our own understanding of the faith. Do you remember the early, early on in, in Pope Francis' um, pontificate, he spoke about the field hospital, right? That to be out, it's, uh, that the, the Catholic is out, uh, it's a battlefield, and you're going to help the wounded, and um, you don't show up, it's sort of like you don't show up at the bedside of a, of a smoker who's got cancer and tell him, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't have been smoking. You know, you got to take care of him. You got to take care of him. If you're, if you're doing that, though, within our society and you're out with people living lives very different from what you know they ought to be doing, you've got to be really grounded in your faith. Because it, it's, it can be so tempting to just turn away. Turn away from the faith. Think of all the think of the politicians that are that are. Um, I mean, I realize it's not it's not a matter of faith in this case, but who have the wrong positions. They're they're looking to be harassed for the rest of their lives. And some politicians, you know, they've just said, "I can't put up with it anymore," and they've given in. I don't know if their eternal souls are in, in jeopardy, but certainly in, in, when it that happens when in our faith, that, that's a real risk. So, so I think the first thing to, to say about evangelization is do what you can both to know your faith 
and develop and, and do what you can to develop the courage to stay, to stay strong, whatever comes your way. So I'll, I'll leave you with the final questions. People who encounter me and or who know me well, can I say with confidence that I am helping them to know Christ? People who encounter me and or who know me well, can I say with confidence that I am helping them to know Christ? Yes, the compassionate Christ, also the very firm Christ. But are they knowing Christ, or are they knowing a caricature of Christ? Do they say, oh, he calls himself a Catholic. I don't want to be that. Look at the example he, he leads. So if not, what would I need to do differently in order for that to happen? Perhaps more importantly, and I think this is also underneath it all, what would drive me, would drive my desire to do so? <laughs> right, so, so they're not seeing Christ in me, I'm sorry to say. Um, what do I need to do differently? Well, I need to probably smile more, <laughs> you know, or actually think about laying down my life in some concrete way. But why would I do it? Why would I desire to do it? Unless in some way I'm driven by Christ's love for humanity. Christ's love for humanity. And I think family life is often a really helpful example here. Um, they say that, that the, the terrible murderer strikingly, is always loved by his mother. Always loved by his mother. So can we, in some way, uh, be that for the world? Show them a way forward, which is different from, you're sinning, stop doing that. That's true enough. <laughs> That's true enough. Uh, but is that really what needs to, to happen in our efforts at this time in our society? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O oh God, our Father and our Maker, you have made us in your image and called us by our names. You have made us your own in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose cross we glory on this holy day when we honor his dying and rising in the Eucharist. Make us holy as he is holy, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.